Hi, this is Tim Swetland from Long Island, New York. Dusted is a StoryWonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. You're here to help want to live Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. This week, we are gathered with appropriate and due solemnity to discuss episode 22 of season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Gift. Oh, man. Before we get into this, everyone, just check your tissues, check your water <laughs> bottles. There is a danger of dehydration associated with this episode of Buffy. Oh. This is it. This is yeah. the end of five seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it is perhaps the most emphatic, well, period, exclamation point that Mm -hmm. we're going to get on the end of a TV show in modern history, Mm -hmm. I think. It's it's so rare to find a show that ends as emphatically, as completely, in every sense of the word, as this show does. And I know, there are two more seasons, and we'll talk about those (laughs) in due course, but this is, in a very real sense... The end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, it was meant to be yeah. originally until they got the pickup for season six, which switched them over to a new network. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen. No. And so th- this was written, this whole entire story arc was meant to kind of close out Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, as they all were, I think, with the exception of season four, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned before, every season finale of Buffy could have functioned as a could series have finale, been, yes. too. But season five is special. This This one stands apart. There are innumerable ways in which this is the culmination of everything that Buffy has been doing Mm -hmm. to date, which you can tell from the moment that we start the episode. That extended previously on Buffy is one of the most striking and powerful representations of what this show is. The show's mythos, Mm -hmm. almost. I I love the way that this episode is constructed from start to finish. If you're a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, you're probably expecting us to say nice things about this episode. It's a good one. It is. It's fantastic. It is honestly one of my favorites. This episode aired on May 22nd, 2001, written and directed by who other? Joss Whedon. Scrappy up and comer. Yes, absolutely. It's got some chops, doesn't have a lot of discipline. He's got to be tested yet, but you know. Right. Well, last week we talked about how Doug Petrie, out of the top five episodes on our big list, has three episodes, one of which is co-written with Jane Espenson, and Joss Whedon has two. And I think that we might have an opportunity for that. That balance we to might kind see of... an upset on the <laughs> yeah. big list. Clearly, that's the most important thing that we're building towards oh, throughout certainly. this episode. I think there is no better way of discussing this episode than simply getting into yeah. it. So let's get into the beat by beat. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, everything. <laughs> Buffy, Xander, Cordelia, Willow, Giles, Angel. Five years of fighting, five years of slaying, five years of variable special effects work. Five years of Buffy all passing in a blur. And we begin where we always began. In an alley, a young man in a striped shirt runs for his life. A vampire approaches with a swagger, but Buffy appears, playing the ingenue. After a bit of pre-fight banter, she catches a flying splinter of crate and dusts the vampire. The would-be victim is astonished and tells her that she's just a girl. But that, as we all know, 
is just the beginning. I love this opening because what it does is it brings us back into what Buffy is as a show, what it is that Buffy has been doing from the beginning, that we have this girl who is presumed to be weak and a victim who ends up taking control of the fight and making the vampires live in her world. And I love that we open, instead of rushing right into the specifics of what the gift is about, we open with this kind of general thesis statement. Yeah, one of the things that may surprise you if you haven't seen The Gift for a while and you sit down to watch it (laughs) is how long it takes us to get to, you know, The Gift. Yeah. There's a lot of preamble. The first half of this episode, and this is only a single episode of television, Mm -hmm. the first half is dedicated to to the arc. It's dedicated to deep, deep character work. Joss Whedon, of course, we praise him all the time here on Dusted for his willingness to, his ability to deal with the consequences, Mm -hmm. narratively speaking, of his actions. He will follow through on a story like no other writer operating in the medium, particularly at this time. Mm -hmm. This is enormously powerful. It is, on the one hand, so simple. It is, on the one hand, archetypal. We are playing with the myth of the Slayer (laughs) in a way that we really haven't since... Maybe the second season, but maybe even the first season. And of course, it's impossible to look at this cold open without looking back to Welcome to the Hellmouth, without looking back to Julie Benz leading a poor, innocent high schooler Mm -hmm. through the halls of Sunnydale High. There is an inversion there. It it represents where this show has come from. It represents, in a sense, where the show is going. But mostly it represents how much Buffy has changed. Wow, been a long while since I met one who didn't know me. That is so... (laughs) powerful that gives us such a sense of who buffy is now of what sunnydale is now i completely love it yeah it's difficult to earn your space i think in this episode this is such a crowded and packed and frantic episode and in a couple of spots i think that does actually exert a negative influence on the story as a whole. There are a couple of spots where I just wish for another 30 seconds where i just wish for another beat of storytelling space Even with all that, I can't take a second out of the previously on Buffy, and I can't take a second out of this cold open. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's damn near perfect. Yeah. After the credits, Buffy returns to the magic box where the Scoobies are downhearted. Giles tells her, not for the first time, that the key was energy. Applied to a particular place at a particular time, the dimensional barriers will fall. For as long as dawn lives, hell will pour into Earth. It's all about blood. Buffy can't hear the truth, but Giles will not be silenced if Glory begins the ritual, and if they can't stop her, then she will have to do what's necessary. Buffy tells him that Dawn is a part of her, that the monks made Dawn out of her. Anya canvasses for ideas, Xander suggests and then dismisses the possibility that they kill Ben, and Anya remembers that the Dagon Sphere still exists, and the Hammer of a Troll God is probably worth a little something in a fight. Maybe they have a chance to bring the battle to Glory after all. So this is our Scooby setup scene, and it just works beautifully. Let's talk first, if we may, about Anya. Let's, because this is fantastic Anya. This is my Anya. Superb, superb Anya. Smart Anya. She's got solutions. I love her whole thing where she's like, all right, come on, let's come up with solutions. She's got this whole thing going on. I really love her and in the moment where giles challenges her and says yes what aside from your you know not so infectious enthusiasm can you bring to this and she's like dagon sphere troll hammer you know she's got it all um i really 
love her in this moment. One quick question, though, that I had about this whole thing yeah. is that Giles is reading this I'm from a book, some prophecy or whatever, right? <laughs> about it's got to be blood. It's all okay. about the blood. What if the monks had not made a human person out of the key? Well, I think the loophole there is that we hope, mm-hmm. we assume that Giles is in fact reading prophecy. Yes. If he's reading about an event that was foretold, then it refers to blood because Dawn was always going to be created eventually. Right. You're right, though. There are some loopholes in the logic here <laughs> that we kind of have to whistle past. They are all addressed right here in this opening scene, I right. guess. The first is, yes, suddenly we know that this ritual is all about blood. That's fine. Which Glory the whole time, the key could have been a teddy bear for all she knew. Like, you can't bleed a teddy bear. You can defluff it, I guess, but, you know, I mean. Wouldn't that have been different? It would have been really different. If the key had been incarnated as Buffy's favorite stuffed animal, (laughs) and Glory, or I guess Doc, had just stood at the top of the tower, pulling fluff from its innards, (laughs) casting it down into the demonic portal, I wonder if Buffy would have been so willing to make the ultimate sacrifice under those circumstances. I think maybe not. Uh, Probably. She's still a giver. (laughs) She is a giver. (laughs) The other loophole that we have to address is this idea that Dawn is made from Buffy. Yeah. We speculated about that back at the beginning of the season, and I have to say that when we were having those conversations, I did not remember that the show is so emphatic on this point. Yeah. Because Dawn's creation is much more ambiguous at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little about the way in which the monks may have borrowed from Buffy's life experiences, the way that Dawn's memory of her childhood may well be adapted memories that came from Buffy originally, mm-hmm. that, that one childhood was split in two. Mm-hmm. That is apparently completely true. That is apparently textually true. And that they made Dawn physically from Buffy. It's so it's a push. Yeah. I mean, we do have the moment. It's Summer's blood. It's my blood. You know, it's our blood. Yeah, but there is a difference between it's Summer's blood. And right. And this is blood. and you are actually made from me. Yes. You know, I don't mind it. I actually like it very much yeah. as a piece of, mm-hmm. of almost a piece of cosmology. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. I, I like the idea that Dawn wasn't created whole cloth. She was mm-hmm. taken from Buffy and yeah. imbued with life. That feels a little more a little more full and a little mm-hmm. more respectful yeah. to me. So I, I like that very much. So I'm willing to overlook it. Let's also comment on the fact that Olaf, as far as we know, wasn't a troll god. Uh-huh. He was a troll. Sure. <laughs> he was a human who was turned into a troll. Right. Want to beat a god? Hammer of a god. Or a troll. Or a troll. Well, I think this supports the theory that Olaf's hammer is inspired so much by Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, that we've just made Olaf into a god. Retrospectively. Yeah, I think there's definitely an element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a, a mythic element of Mjolnir and of Thor embodied mm-hmm. in Olaf and his hammer. I like very much what that does to our understanding of the hammer as mm-hmm. we move through the episode. Yeah. Because we know that Spike previously could not lift the hammer mm-hmm. at all. But we also know, based on evidence that we saw previously in Olaf's appearance in this yes. season and during the fight that we get at the end of the gift, that the hammer doesn't seem to be particularly heavy. Mm-hmm. Buffy isn't able to pick it up because she has just secretly been 10 times stronger than Spike this whole time. Mm -hmm. Because when Olaf was smacking Xander around with the hammer, he was bruised, he was injured, but he wasn't completely destroyed. Right. Mm -hmm. Which you would assume that he would be if the magic was somehow the hammer of a god. Yeah. So I see this as. You know, Olaf was pulling his punches somewhat. Like the way that our cat, when they bring in a mouse, they like to play with it for a while first. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's an odd and, and unexpected I mean, metaphor. But Olaf okay. might have a little cat in him. That's all I'm saying. 
hey, who knows? This exactly. week he's a troll god. Next week he could be literally anything. We can never be sure of, of what That's Olaf true. secretly is. I like that explanation very much. I like the idea that it is something to do with Spike mm-hmm. that prevented him from lifting the hammer in the yeah, first place. Yeah, that, that Spike wasn't me. worthy. Or that there's some enchantment on the hammer that prevents a demon from, sure. from wielding mm-hmm. it. That could explain it, too. So all of this is to say that we are patching up some holes, mm-hmm. I think, in the ongoing storytelling. And we haven't yet talked about the most significant one. And I'm going to talk about this now mm-hmm. so that we don't have to talk about it later. Because yes. I am, at this point, willing to declare the events of Spiral non-canonical. <laughs> or I'm willing to declare that, in my personal headcanon, the Knights of Byzantium are demons. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. The Knights of Byzantium are, are somehow otherworldly, demonic, and evil. Right. That's absolutely not true in the Buffy canon According to, to Yes, to exactly. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, we pay so much attention to this idea of the killing of an innocent, whether yes. it's Dawn or it's Ben. And we've been leaning on that for a while now, but we really address it directly with great purpose in mm-hmm. this episode. And I love that discussion. I love both perspectives on that. I love how both sides of that story ultimately end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't engage with that story if I remember that literally yesterday, right, in, in the, the, Buffy, timeline. the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. timeline, literally yesterday, Buffy killed 10 guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a problem for me. And I think that Spiral if we allow its canonicity to stand. I mean, I get that the Knights of Byzantium were trained. I get that they were coming for Buffy. They were trying to kill her. Sure. They were coming after Dawn. Sure. You know, and Buffy says, you know, in the course of the gift, if any of you, you know, try to kill Dawn, I will kill you, you know. But Ben, we treat the killing of Ben as though it is completely unthinkable. And it's not just Buffy, it's everyone, with Mm -hmm. the sole exception of Giles. Right. Everyone treats the murder of Ben, even though it would prevent a literal apocalypse, sure, mm-hmm. as a completely unthinkable act. Right. The ends do not justify the right. means. That's what differentiates a hero from a villain. That's incompatible. Although, and when Xander brings it up, yeah. everybody looks at him horrified. Exactly. You know? Because we don't do that. We're the good guys. Right. And that's not just about the killing of an innocent human. One of the major thematic elements that's in play here is this notion of the Slayer. Mm-hmm. Buffy says to Giles later in the episode, I guess the Slayer is just a killer. Mm-hmm. That's enormously powerful because we haven't really dealt with the idea that the Slayer kills since Faith left town. Sure. I guess was the last mm-hmm. time that we really we really lent into that idea of, of who and what the Slayer is. There's so much depth there within this episode. Mm-hmm. I have to just forget about Spiral when I'm watching it. I think you do, because there are implications in Spiral with how casually we just, you know, kill 10 of oh, these yeah. guys um, that that are incompatible, essentially incompatible with this kind of season-long theme of, you know, of, of that you don't kill humans. Right, That's something because that you don't go, not season-long, I mean series-long. We've been dealing with this from the beginning. no loophole that we can find for mm-hmm. the Knights of Byzantium that makes it okay for Buffy to kill them that doesn't also apply to a much greater degree yeah. to Ben. Mm-hmm. There's there's just no way of, of balancing that within this episode. Though, right. of course, this episode isn't obligated to pay off Spiral. It's not obligated sure. to, mm-hmm. to compensate for the weaknesses in that particular story. But it's another way in which the Knights of Byzantium, I think, were mm-hmm. a really major misstep in this season. Yeah. We just didn't have time or space to accommodate them in the fabric. And as you said at the time, they stress our understanding of the Buffyverse just by being present yeah. in it. That's a little complicated. Ben, meanwhile, 
delivers a sacrificial victim end-of-the-world outfit to Dawn, who refuses to talk to him and demands the return of Glory. Wait, is Ben Glory? I think Ben's subletting from Glory. Ben and Glory are the same person? That's the joke that keeps (laughs) on giving. In any case, Glory shows up on cue and laments Ben's calming influence on her otherwise savage ways. Glory tells Dawn that her death will close the portals, so if Buffy shows up at all, it might not be to save her. Buffy, meanwhile, is training hard. Giles tries to explain the difficult decision that he's been called upon to make. He loves Dawn, but he has to try to save the world. They've faced six apocalypses together, and Buffy has given so much. If Dawn dies, it proves that a slayer is nothing but a killer. And if that should happen, even if the world is saved, Buffy quits. God, I love this moment where she says, I don't want to live in this world if these are the choices in it. And that is such an incredibly powerful moment, especially when she references the fact that, you know, I loved Angel so much and I killed him to save the world and I knew that was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, but here she just, she can't deal with the fact that these are the things that are being asked of her. Yes. Let's talk a little about Buffy's take on Dawn here. Mm -hmm. I think that we can be sympathetic Mm -hmm. to it. I think that we can understand where she's coming from. She just lost her mother. Mm -hmm. And given the extended and gleeful absence of Hank Summers, even surrounded (laughs) by friends, by found family Mm -hmm. as she is, Dawn is the only family that Buffy has left. Mm -hmm. Is she making the right call? Are we supposed to think that she's making the right call? I think that she's making the only call she can make. I think that being asked to choose, you know, the rest of the world over the person who you love most in the world is an unreasonable request. And I think that Buffy has a point, you know, I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices in it. Right. You know, but it's not up to her to make that decision for everyone else. I think there is such a thing. In, in well-constructed I narratives. Can see, I can see, like, we have kids. I can absolutely see I would make the same decision. Right, but... I would let you the would world burn before I let my, sure. my child die. But yeah. you would acknowledge, I think, in a sense, that that's the wrong decision, that that's not yeah. the most moral decision, but it's the decision that you have to make. Right. I see this decision for Buffy very much as being a an heroic and, and well-intentioned mm-hmm. failure. Yeah. She's making the wrong decision, but we're so connected to her empathically that we understand it. And she knows and she understands it. And Giles, when he, you know, says, I've, I've sworn to protect this world. And that means doing the things that other people shouldn't have to. Yeah. You know, um, I think that that's a really powerful statement too. I love this scene between the two of them because I think they're just expressing so much about, you know, you, you think about all of the different choices that you have to make and all of the, the trying to make moral decisions and do the right thing, you know, as much as possible. Hopefully most of us are constantly trying to make the right decision, to make the moral decision. When you have to make this kind of a choice, morality, I think, ceases to exist. It just, there is something so powerful. See, love is such a powerful thing. And when you love somebody that much, yeah. having to make that kind of a choice, it just, it doesn't exist in that world. It's, it doesn't work. I, I can completely see where Buffy's coming from. Do I think she's like morally wrong? Sure. Sure she is. But I would do the same thing. No, and I think that mm-hmm. I would too. I, I think most I, people I understand would. Yeah. what she's doing. I just want to differentiate between her, you know, the moral correctness of her choice and her inability to make the morally correct choice, her inability to to make the right decision. Right, because I think that if you have to make that kind of decision, it breaks something within you that would give you a moral compass. Like 
to have to to make that choice. You know, it's one thing with Angel. I think that I can see her making that choice with Angel, especially given. See, I'm, I'm I'm leery of this idea that we can kind of give her this get out of jail free card on on the moral question mm-hmm. that that this is so personal, this is so immense, this is so immediate that she that she can't be expected to make the moral choice. Mm-hmm. I think she can be expected to make the moral choice. I think she's a hero. I think she should make the moral choice mm-hmm. when she is on the tower. Okay, it's one thing to talk about this when we're in the magic box, when we're talking about the shadows that may yet come. Yeah. When she is on the tower and the portal is open, mm-hmm. she should kill Dawn. She must kill Dawn. That is the only appropriate moral choice. The fact that she doesn't make it doesn't excuse her from that moral choice. And I don't judge her for that. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to to put our protagonist in particular, characters in general, our protagonist in particular, in a position where they cannot make the right choice. Mm-hmm. But it's a position which we understand so fully that we understand and we accept and mm-hmm. we ultimately forgive. I think that is perhaps the best example of Whedon's masterful commitment to consequence. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, that putting Buffy in this position and then having her play it completely straight yeah. is, is yeah. absolutely fascinating. That we don't find a cheat at the yeah. end, you know? Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. We have to walk that tightrope. We're on the one side, we're not so frustrated with Buffy's inability to do what clearly has to be done. Right. But we're also not so won over by her ingenue act that we believe she's doing the right thing. Right. Buffy mm-hmm. is making the wrong choice. And we understand And she it. knows it. That's, you know? Yeah. That's huge. And mm-hmm. that's something that we're going to see through season six and into season oh, seven. Sure. Let's talk about the much more important thing, though. Yes. <laughs> How many apocalypses has this been? How many has it been? Six, though it feels like a hundred. Yeah. This is, of course, the 100th episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the six apocalypses. Oh, Because yeah. I think he's right. Mm-hmm. I think that there have, in fact, including the whole glory Mm storyline i think they have in fact faced six literal end of the world scenarios end of the world Mm -hmm. portal to the demon dimension (laughs) open the hell mouth apocalypses prophecy girl Mm -hmm. becoming Mm -hmm. the zeppo which we see only peripherally Mm -hmm. graduation day doomed which is that one where the demons break into (laughs) sunnydale high forgettable yes yes forgettable buffy dives into the crack in the basement and she's got the little zip line from uh the most forgettable apocalypse could have been the title of that episode the most forgettable apocalypse (laughs) and now glory is that it is that i I guess so yeah missed any i don't know i can't think of one that we missed i mean the judge is kind of up there but he wasn't going to open a dimension that was going to swallow the world he was just going to kill everybody he came across but it was going to be a personal one-on-one kind of killing the judge is the unleashing of a monster it's not i mean and a a bad monster but it's not an apocalypse right it's not a swallow the earth into hell situation right Mm -hmm. so i think that's the six but i love and of course there is a certain amount of cheese man in this episode there's a certain amount of playfulness there are Mm -hmm. just moments when he cannot resist just just turning to the audience and just giving them a wink (laughs) and yes Six, but it feels like a hundred. Feels like a hundred. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And we have to talk about Anthony Head. Yeah. We have to talk about this amazing performance as Giles throughout the episode. He is, I think, and it, it's it's very difficult to, to even say these words aloud. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's my favorite actor in this episode. Yeah. I think he gives the best performance in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it pains me to take anything away from Sarah Michelle Gellar because 
I mean, because she's amazing. But good but God. what Giles is able to do with what Anthony had is able to do with that character in these moments, you mm-hmm. know, where he has to be the pragmatic one. He has to be the one to make the choices that other people can't make. And I love the way that we nod to that in this conversation with Buffy and Giles. Oh. We nod to how this all is going to play out. And ultimately, it's not even that he makes the choice that Buffy can't make. It's that he makes the choice so that she doesn't have to. Right. It's exactly what he says at the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode. It's exactly what he says during this scene. I took an oath to protect this world, and that means that I have to do the things that others can't. Or shouldn't have to. Yes. And that's what he does mm-hmm. at the end of the episode. That's not a throwaway line. It's beautifully constructed. Oh, my God. As you would I expect. I know. The time of the alignment is drawing near, and Glory orders Dawn to be taken out to the site of the dimensional breach, a giant metal tower looming over the Sunnydale skyline. <laughs> and say what you like about these people who have been mentally drained by right. Glory. But there are apparently some gifted construction workers in there. A couple now. of engineers in there, yeah. I think so. Kinda. I would not like to climb this this rickety thing. I, I really wouldn't, but the fact that it is standing <laughs> at all even long enough to open the portal is it's pretty impressive. I love the the unnecessary invention mm-hmm. of the portal opening in the air. Yeah. I don't know how tall it's supposed to be. No. 100 feet in the air, perhaps. Uh-huh. I love that. I love the idea of the tower. I certainly like what we get from the height of the tower at yeah. the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Does the tower itself work for you? Uh, it does. It does. It does. It's it's crazy and weird and ramshackle and and incredibly dangerous looking. Um, I think it's beautifully designed. Glorious minions have constructed this in maybe twelve hours. Yeah, that seems fast. It does seem fast. We do have a lot of minions. Mm-hmm. We do have a lot of minions, you know. Um, and I think that you know the 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 people whose whose brains she has drained have come in and maybe brought you know whatever skill sets they might have had. <laughs> there do seem to be more of them than we might have expected. Exactly. Too. There there, there were, were only quite a few solid half dozen in yes. the ward at, at Sunnydale Memorial, but there are a lot more than that wandering around the construction site. I don't know that I wouldn't have preferred something a little more magical yeah it is oh god i love its mundanity prosaic. i love it yeah that it, it's emerging from this very banal construction site yeah and are we to believe i guess we must believe that this was a pre-existing construction site yeah. i guess we have to believe that there was already something here mm-hmm. because otherwise one of glory's brain-drained minions went out and got that wrecking ball yeah and parked it oh nearby. i think i think it was just there i think they just took advantage of so they just took advantage there. of a pre-existing construction site that, that just happened, happened to be, be where the portal right is the one well maybe the portal breach. maybe the portal is just as many feet up and it can be anywhere who knows then they could have just gone to a nearby apartment building and taken an elevator to the roof yeah but it wouldn't have been as cool looking. it would not have been as cool <laughs> i won't disagree with you there at all in the basement of the magic box, meanwhile, Anya and Xander recover from a moment of recuperative sex and resume their search for the Dagon Sphere, but they find instead the abandoned Buffy bot and a small, pink, fluffy bunny. Xander chooses courage in the face of fear and proposes to Anya, promising her that they'll get through this and that he wants to marry her. She accepts, then hesitates. She will accept, but only after the world doesn't end. I hate the Anya bunny thing. Yeah, the bunny thing in is this a, episode, yeah. in every episode, forever and for always. It's like kitten Hell's poker heart, for you. I, exactly. the, I hate the Anya bunny thing. I love this scene. I think it's a great, it's, so it's good. a great scene. I love that moment where Anya looks at him and says, "Wait, you're just asking me because you know we're gonna die." Oh, even before that, the whole idea yeah. that they are 
in this version of their relationship, so enormously well connected yeah. that they can have this very intense and very primally motivated sexual encounter. Yeah. This moment of release, this moment of safety in each mm-hmm. other's arms, and then return to this stress, this tension, this adversity, but still stay emotionally connected. Yeah. I love that we get no hint of, of dismissive or critical Xander yes. in this scene, mm-hmm. in this entire episode. In fact, yeah. he's right there with her. And I, I can really give this scene no greater applause than this. I believe it. Yeah. I believe Xander asking Anya to marry him mm-hmm. at that moment. I like that she is suspicious that he's only doing this because the world is going to yeah. But if she thought about it, he has a ring. Yeah. He didn't run out and get this from the all-night pawn shop next door. Exactly. You know, presumably he's had this for quite some time, which means mm-hmm. he's been planning it for quite some time, which means that he knows that yeah. presumably they're going to survive this. And I love what we might infer as Xander's continued unshakable faith in Buffy. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's one of my very favorite things. Buffy talks with Willow, telling her that she's the only one who has ever hurt Glory, and their only chance of delaying her past the point of the alignment. Willow has a plan that might restore Tara's sanity and knock Glory off balance. Maybe. We're pretty much not going to have another major scene between Buffy and Willow. No, but this one is so wonderful. I love this. You know you're my strongest person. And she's like, no, no, I don't know that. Uh, (laughs) There's... A masterful bit of dialogue writing mm-hmm. there from Whedon, yeah. where we're already reframing the story. There are so many subtle ways in which this episode presents itself as the mm-hmm. series finale, as the last episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When Willow responds to Buffy calling her the big gun, yeah. she says, I was never the big gun. Mm-hmm. She's already dealing in the past perfect tense. She's yes. already dealing in a story that has, in a sense, come to an end. Mm-hmm. And I find that enormously powerful. Well, I also love this moment where Willow is saying, I've really been focusing on trying to help Tara, and I know I shouldn't be doing that. And Buffy says, of course you should. And I love yes. that moment because this is Buffy understanding that Tara to Willow is like Dawn to Buffy. It is the most important person. Yes. Again, you kind of feel as though this is Willow making the wrong decision for the very best reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. You kind of feel as though, actually, you have no hope of helping Tara if the world comes to an end. Mm-hmm. So maybe focus on that rather than, you know, this this less immediate, though admittedly much more personal, much more pressing problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the end, of course, that turns out to have been the right choice. And yep. that's fine. We can validate that, I think. Mm-hmm. The metaphor here that love will find a way, that love yeah. will overcome, that love will love will be lead enough. you to the place where you need to yeah. be. Yeah, that that works narratively. Mm-hmm. I think we can we can make space for that. In I the think narrative. so too. I absolutely love it. We get such an amazing performance from Alison Hannigan oh, throughout yeah. this entire episode. Mm-hmm. We get such depth. We get such wit. There's that fantastic line earlier in the episode when Xander says, "Smart girls are so hot." Oh, and Willow turns to him and says, "She couldn't have figured that out in tenth grade." I And it is this, where have you guys been? Where has this warmth been for the last half a season? It's so, it's so intimate. It's a wonderful relationship. It's so beautifully observed. Well, and this is the thing, is so deftly and so quickly in these little scenes, we are cementing all of these relationships exactly. you know and we are paying homage to all of these relationships and we're arcing them or we are mm-hmm. recognizing that they have that arced. they have arced yeah. the past tense is a constant companion yeah throughout this episode whether it's giles talking to buffy and recognizing well this is it mm-hmm. buffy saying whether we win or lose it's over this yeah. is the end of the road right there are so many moments in which we recognize 
how far we've come. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that that many TV shows would be brave enough to do, particularly in 2001. This yeah. was a, a pre-serialized televisual world, yeah. broadly speaking. This is what launched that kind yeah. of thing. This is what launched the kind of storytelling that we're seeing today. A very fair argument that this specific episode, yes. the way in which this episode plays off Buffy as a text, mm-hmm. that this episode led to the modern golden age of television. I, I think, think so. You can, you can make a definitive argument. I think you absolutely can. Yeah. Buffy leaves Giles with the recovered Dagon Sphere and takes Spike back to her house. He hesitates on the threshold, but she invites him back inside. They have a moment, then get to the weapons. Buffy tells Spike that she's relying on him to protect Dawn, no matter what. He gives his word and tells her that he knows she'll never love him. Oh, man. I love this scene. This scene is so beautiful. The way that he is at the threshold, and he says, well, you can just hand them over the threshold to me. And she invites him in, and he says, I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like I'm a man. I love that moment. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. Uh, When? (laughs) When? 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 I guess what I'm asking is when. When she, I think when she invites him in, you know, when she treats him like part of the team, I think that he That's sees that as her full of times treating him and, and bringing, you know, her mother and her sister to him to protect. You know, I think that there a, a are handful of times. a handful of times, but I think it's m- more than Spike has remember, gotten. Yeah, that handful of times, particularly bringing Joyce and Dawn to him. Yeah, that was pre Buffy bot. Yeah, we've been down some dark roads. Since well, then. but also after the Buffy bot, you know, when she went and pretended to be the Buffy bot with him and said this thing you did for me and Dawn that was real and I won't forget it. I think that right. that is a moment where I see Buffy consistently treating Spike like the monster that he is. Mm-hmm. I understand that there is a connection between them. Yeah. And I love I love this as an expression of his perspective on this narrative. And I can whistle past this because she doesn't say, yeah. you're not a man, you are a monster. Right. <laughs> I think that I'm not sure to what degree I find that line to be true. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Buffy treats him more like a man than a monster, but she doesn't treat him entirely like a monster yeah and i think that the five percent there yeah i think that the wiggle room that she gives him probably is enough but it's such a nice moment because he opens it with i know you will never love me yeah like that he's not trying to get anything from her he just has this one thing to say right while i do think that this is a product of spike's narrativization of his mm-hmm, own experiences and sure. his own relationship with Buffy. His over-romanticization of exactly. every relationship he's ever had from Cecily on. Yes. I think that's completely mm-hmm. fair. While I do think that's true, that does nothing to undercut his genuine heroism oh, yeah. in this episode. I have never been as big a fan of Spike as you are. Mm-hmm. I tend to find I his behavior <laughs> more problematic than you do. Yeah. I tend to find him more complicated and across the board, mm-hmm. pretty much more reprehensible yeah. than you do. Mm-hmm. But here, for me, here, the the rubber of his intentions meets the road of his action. Yes. He's mm-hmm. actually following through. He's actually walking the walk here. We're talking about the big stuff. We're talking about real self-sacrifice. Yeah. And we're talking about really being a part of the team, which is the part of being in Buffy's orbit that Spike has always struggled with. It would seem to me, with the exception of Dawn, of course, and he has this weird personal connection with Willow Mm -hmm. and an intermittent personal connection with Xander now that's just starting to rise up, but Mm -hmm. he's never really been a team player. Here, he's called upon to be a part of the Scoobies, Mm -hmm. and 
absolutely definitively steps up i think he's great well that's that wonderful moment where she says you know i'm gonna count on you to protect her Mm -hmm. and he says you know to the end and i think that that is something that you can believe from him because he almost died to protect her to protect on you know um and i think that 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 is an incredibly heroic moment especially from someone who you know let's not forget is a monster yes though Mm -hmm. we're well past the point now at which that was a clean cut. Yes, yes, very true. A throwaway reference from from Doc later in the episode. (laughs) There's no hint of a soul. There's no hint of a soul. And yet. So where does this come from? We're past that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I like to think that, you know, maybe the complexities of vampire morality are as poorly understood in the Buffyverse as they are in our world. It may well be, They are within the stand of this podcast. Dawn is tied up on the tower, and back at the magic box, Willow urges Tara to follow Glory's call. With a word of warning from Buffy, they all set off together, following Tara all the way to the tower, a wildly ambitious and unlicensed piece of public construction. Tara slips into the construction site, removing her cast, and is immediately accosted by Glory... But Willow was there, plunging her fingers into their heads and hurling them across the site. Glory gets quickly back to her feet, but she isn't quite herself. She needs a brain to eat. And there's Buffy, just the girl she's looking for. Willow is the baddest ass. Oh, yeah. The most serious of serious business. Mm Mm-hmm. I love Willow. Oh, my God. I think it is so amazing. I love this moment where she's able to take back from Glory what she took from Tara. It is amazing. And yet... It's not the victory over glory that matters. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the casting of the spell for once. It's not the actual it's not the exercise of her power mm-hmm. that seems rewarding to Willow. It really is the consequence of that, which we'll yes. get to in just a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Glory sends her minions to guard the staircase to dawn, all as Buffy taunts her with the Dagon sphere. She throws the sphere to Glory, and though it cracks, Glory is obviously weakened as Buffy immediately attacks. The Scoobies, meanwhile, attack the guards. Buffy gets in a few good strikes against Glory, but the battle isn't going well. Willow finds her way to Tara and comforts her as Glory unleashes a killer blow and decapitates the Slayer. Who, it turns out, is a robot. I know! What a reveal! I didn't see that. I actually, when the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my god! (laughs) I would be surprised. Even though we had just seen the bot before. I would be surprised if anyone genuinely the first time they watched the episode saw it coming yeah. but when you watch it again of course it's a hundred percent it's the all Buffy right there it's, it's all, all right in there. her intonation yep. it's all in her performance it's mm-hmm. all in her body language it's a really great piece of performance oh, by sarah michelle Gellar. absolutely wonderful and can we talk a little bit about willow and tara well, we have to i'm clearing glory and and the buffy bot out of the way so that we can recognize okay because this, this is when i start crying every time <laughs> <laughs> is when tara says i got so lost yeah. you know and it is Oh, my God. And when Willow hugs her and says, I'll find you. I mean, oh, my God. That is one of the most powerful moments in television ever. And And I mean, the rest of this episode, you know, has a lot of powerful moments. But that is the thing every single time that just gets me that moment when she says, I got so lost. And I want to recognize, too, that this is still... 2001 yeah. we're not so terribly far past willow and tara's first on-screen kiss yeah we're not so terribly far past the point where this relationship would have been all but unthinkable on mm-hmm. network television and here whedon commits to it yeah he doesn't wink he doesn't downplay it he doesn't diminish it and he doesn't find a loophole it would have been trivial to leave willow and tara unconscious yeah for the rest of the fight sure 
and not have this moment of reconnection. But he obviously recognizes the value of this story. He recognizes how important this catharsis mm-hmm. is. And it's it's gorgeous. Oh, God. It's so, so powerful. And Amber Benson, of course, just knocks it out of the park mm-hmm. again, again. <laughs> Another episode of Buffy in which, in a sense, she's given not much to do. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have, by virtue of her 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 state, mm-hmm. she doesn't have that direct and immediate connection with any of the characters around her. Mm-hmm. So she's left to act pretty much in a vacuum and yet delivers these incredibly powerful moments. We breezed past her throwaway line to Giles earlier, mm-hmm. you're a killer. You're a killer. Oh, So effective, so powerful. And again, could be completely random, could be mm-hmm. completely incidental, is not, of yeah. course, either mm-hmm. random or incidental. I love it. And you're right. That moment, that's the first heart in the throat moment. I oh, think, my God. Episode. Yeah. So, so powerful. Buffy attacks Glory with Olaf's hammer, then races to the stairs and begins to climb. Glory follows and they fight again, high above the streets of Sunnydale. Buffy recovers the hammer and hits Glory again, but Buffy hits her again and again, and they fall back to Earth, hard. Xander smashes Glory with a wrecking ball, and Buffy begins again with the hammer. But on the tower, Doc appears before dawn, ready to begin the bleeding himself. Ugh. I love Doc. Yeah, he's, he's great. Fantastic. So much more threatening mm-hmm. than the overwhelming majority of antagonists and villains that we've seen in the Buffy You can learn a lot about what it is that makes somebody threatening seem threatening and powerful, you know, because a lot yes. of times it's about how loud, how their physical presence, all of these really obvious things. But there is a quiet menace within the performance of Doc. Even yeah. with this sort of, uh, you know, avuncular kind of uh, covering over it, you know? Yeah, I feel as though that's a trope that is very, very easy to overplay. Yeah. That's the Hannibal Lecter trope. Right. You know, this excessive courtesy and precision that masks something genuinely monstrous. I think, honestly, that Joel Grey does it as well as anyone ever has. Yes. I think that mm-hmm. Doc is is a nigh-perfect example of that kind of character. He's scarier than Glory ever is. Oh, he's scarier than pretty much everyone. Yeah. And it's interesting that he's, in a sense, mimicking what we got from the mayor. I was just saying, the mayor is probably yeah. the closest to this. The closest version that of we've this gotten. kind of villain. And you don't right. have to lean into this kind of villainy. You can go for something a little more But the mayor was so like the master, for funny example. and ridiculous, yeah. you know? And I think that there's something about pulling that ridiculousness back. Yeah. Um, that makes Doc so much more frightening. Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's powerfully effective mm-hmm. and ultimately a little frustrating. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that mm-hmm. in a few minutes. The Scoobies rally themselves and Willow communicates with Spike telepathically, urging him to attack and to get to Dawn. She and Tara telekinetically clear a path and Spike climbs, reaching Doc just as the ritual time arrives. And in a second, with seemingly no effort, Doc stabs him. Buffy beats on Glory, but Doc hurls Spike from the top of the tower to the bricks below, and in a moment of weakness, Glory changes back to Ben. He promises Buffy that they'll leave, that they'll never come near Buffy or Dawn or Sunnydale again. Buffy takes his word and races to help her sister. And then Giles appears from the shadows, kneeling over Ben and telling him that Buffy's mercy will lead only to destruction. And even knowing that, she has to do the right thing. She, after all, is a hero. But Giles always said that he would kill an innocent to save the world. This is the payoff of 
so much. Mm-hmm. There is so much narrative energy invested yeah. in this storyline that it is amazing that it is realized as fully and as powerfully as it is in what is a very quiet moment between one of our favorite actors in the entire world and someone who I think it's fair to say has struggled a little sure. through the season. Mm-hmm. I genuinely and much to my surprise and delight <laughs> love the performance that we get from Charlie Weber yeah. here at the end of his. No, my favorite moment is when Giles says, well, she's a hero. She's not like us. Yeah. And Charlie Weber goes, us? Yeah. You know, and you can see what I love in that though, is that Giles, while we always talk about Ben in terms of he isn't innocent as though he is just as innocent as Dawn, you know, for instance. Um, and, and he is, a victim of this thing that happened to him. Though he's less innocent now than he has ever been before, as we discussed in great length last week. Exactly. She's not like us. She's a hero. And it's in that moment that you can see on his face, he knows what's going to happen here. And Giles makes sure he drives that point home before doing what he needs to do. It's a wonderful moment, so incredibly powerful. And again, Joss Whedon has this ability to express so much so efficiently yeah. you know with a line he can paint a whole world of meaning and i love that right because we have to remember that as much as we have a fondness i think for the depth of giles's character we have a fondness for dark giles we have a fondness for the ripper aspects Mm -hmm. of his personality this is completely unprecedented yeah this moment is something that we have never seen before in buffy and it doesn't invalidate either our sense of Giles's Ripper history or Tweety Giles that we met back in season one, the Giles that we meet in the previously on Buffy. Yeah. You know, in the early part. Yeah. At the beginning Mm -hmm. of this episode, he's the same guy. This is all part of the same guy. Changed. Mm -hmm. We haven't revised Giles character. We've evolved Giles's character. Mm -hmm. And it's in moments like this that you realize that proximity to greatness can be, life-altering can make you a different person and we've we've come to that idea before in and around buffy we've seen that very very negatively we've seen it disastrously Mm -hmm. in riley sure Mm -hmm. whose proximity to genuine heroism all but destroyed his character both narratively and extra narratively (laughs) i suppose but then we see it in characters like xander Mm -hmm. who has found a humanity thanks mm-hmm. to his proximity to heroism, yeah. has found his own heroism, his small and fragile and, and the human glorified heroism, bricklayer picks up a spare. A heroism yeah. nonetheless, mm-hmm. absolutely. But he's found a meaning in life that is illuminated by Buffy that isn't the abstract kind of, of right. fanaticism that we saw from, from Xander very early mm-hmm. in the series. He's arced to something to something complete. He to has real become purpose. a person. He has yeah. genuinely come of age. And we see that in the mm-hmm. scene with Anya in the basement, I think. We see all of these characters interact with with this this concept of the slayer, of, mm-hmm. of the heroic figure differently. And we see here that Giles is willing to carry the burden that even the slayer, even the one girl in all the world, right. can't or shouldn't have to carry. It is... One of the darkest moments, obviously. Again, mm-hmm. this is, in a sense, not the right decision. This is no more the right decision, right. arguably, mm-hmm. than Buffy's decision to not kill Ben or not kill Dawn. But again, we understand why this decision is being made. We understand why Giles is taking the action that he's taking. Mm-hmm. And we can't help, I think, but feel uh, a respect and a sadness oh, for yeah. this 
singular act of of paternal grace. He has to make the choices that other people shouldn't have to. Particularly, yeah, his daughter. Oh God. It's, incredibly incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. and all credit to charlie weber i mean i do want to talk to about claire kramer yes who i think has been given a really tough ride over the last few (laughs) weeks she's been given some Uh tough stuff to do in both spiral and in weight of the world Mm -hmm. she was given a great deal of exposition she wasn't given a great deal of motivation she had to really vamp a lot of her dialogue just Mm -hmm. to make it work just to make it, it it pop on screen here, though, there's none of that. And yeah. partly that's a function of Whedon's dialogue, but it's partly also a function of of narrative simplicity, mm-hmm. narrative elegance. We're here now. She doesn't yes. have to delay. She doesn't have to procrastinate. She doesn't have to tap dance or give us jazz exactly. hands. She can just do her thing. She just gets to right. do it. And I think her performance throughout is fantastic. I love her. And yeah. we don't get a farewell from her. Mm-hmm. We don't get a, a crowning moment from her because in the moment of Buffy's victory, she turns back into Ben. Yeah. And I think that that's... All the more powerful. Claire Kramer does great work. Charlie Weber does great work. Mm-hmm. Anthony Stewart Hat knocks it out of the MVP, park. MVP, I think, yeah. It's an extraordinary performance in an episode replete with extraordinary performances. Oh, yeah. In a show replete with extraordinary exactly. performances. Buffy has never been a slouch <laughs> yes. when it comes to casting the mm-hmm. very finest talent mm-hmm. and finding relatively unknown actors who can absolutely bring it mm-hmm. when necessary, even within that frame, even with, with that contextual material. I think this is a knockout performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On the tower, Buffy pushes Doc out of the way to get to dawn, but her blood was spilled, and the apocalypse is beginning. The portal opens, lightning lashing the nearby buildings. The earth itself tears asunder, and Anya is hit by falling debris. And on the tower, Dawn tries to jump, tries to close the portal by offering her own life. But Buffy flashes back to events from throughout the season. Dawn has summer's blood. Dawn was made from her. And death is her gift. Dawn suddenly understands, and Buffy talks calmly to her sister as the lightning flares. Then she turns, runs, and dives into the portal as we hear her words. The portal finally closes, and as the sun rises, the Scoobies find Buffy's body lying in the wreckage at the foot of the tower. The hardest thing to do in this world is to live in it. And later, we end in the graveyard with Buffy's name inscribed on a tombstone with the words, Beloved sister, devoted friend, she saved the world a lot. Oh, I can think of no more elegant, powerful, intimate, personal, focused, disciplined, mm-hmm. complete end to the five seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that we have seen thus far yeah. than this moment. I think there's some looseness Mm -hmm. in the rest of the episode i think there are moments that i'd rather not have i could live without the pink fluffy bunny i could live honestly without buffy pushing doc aside as though he were irrelevant much the the way that doc pushed spike aside because spike it felt like he didn't fight as much i mean you know doc stabbed him but he's a vampire he's been stabbed a lot you know well, and then doc threw him off of the threw thing. him off the thing but 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 at least had the good grace to throw him rather right. than simply push him just knock him over right mm-hmm. i don't know if it was whedon's intent to have doc disappear without any great i think we just made. wanted to get rid of him quickly yeah well, i could see and it turned into a to joke keep Doc yeah mm-hmm. for season 6 if there mm-hmm. was ever going to be a season sure. 6 because by the time this episode is being edited by the time it's being finally put together i think there was an understanding that there was going to be a continuation right. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer so the ending isn't quite the 
the sharp, complete period mm-hmm. that we would want it to be at the end of, of this five season arc. I don't know if, if Doc was supposed to return. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, I guess. Doc will never return. We'll yeah. never see him again. Much to my sadness and, mm-hmm. and chagrin. Oh, I, he would have made a fantastic season long villain. I hate the way yeah. that he's just disposed of. Not because I, I, I want there to be another big fight scene. I'm kind of good for fight scenes. But because he got rid of Spike so easily and this undercuts well, everything about that's him. That's certainly yeah. true, too. I think it's just that it's so effortless. Yeah. Had he seen Buffy coming and jumped, Mm-hmm. then we right. would have dispatched him in, in exactly as swift a fashion, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have been played for comedy. Because we know if he can survive being stabbed in the chest by a sword, sure. there's a pretty good chance he'll survive falling from the tower. Mm, so good. had he taken that decision himself, having achieved his goal, having begun his work, uh, sure. yeah. he could have just stepped off the, given Buffy a little smirk and stepped mm-hmm. off the platform. Right. Mm-hmm. That would have done it. But Buffy pushing him out of the way doesn't work for me mm-hmm. at all. I'm, I'm constantly frustrated by that yeah. at the end mm-hmm. of this episode. That aside, does this closing sequence put a foot wrong for you? No. I, it is so good. It's so fantastic. It's so heartbreaking and sad, yeah. you know. Um, and you see Buffy in that moment of realization, you know, where she puts everything together. And we have so many things that we have kind of planted throughout the season leading up to this. It's my blood. It's Summer's blood. You yeah. know, death is your gift. And this is picking up from, we've got the Dagon Sphere. We've right. got the Hammer. We've got the Buffy bot. Death is my gift. Yes, you're right. So we have we have loaded into this season so many things building up to this one moment, you know. With a tweak right there at the end, just yeah. to make it all sit nicely together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels as though Joss Whedon's not against the idea of, of lightly taking a tap hammer to a jigsaw sure. piece just to, just to, <laughs> just give it to a make sure it fits just to make sure it make sits sure it fits. nice and yeah. comfortably with the other the other jigsaw pieces i love the end here mm-hmm. i love how restrained it is i love that we get buffy's voiceover yeah. here i love that we don't get any additional dialogue and then that simple grave marker yeah is so eloquent is so powerful is so again so complete that we don't need anything. Mm-hmm. That perhaps is, in a weird way, the most astonishing thing about this episode. Yeah. We touch all of these characters. We take them all to what is, if not a final resting place, mm-hmm. then at least is indicative of a final resting place. Right. Xander and Anya are going to be just fine. Dawn is going to live. Giles is going to be haunted but he's going to go on and he's going to take care of the things that he needs to take care of. Mm-hmm. Willow and Tara are going to be okay. Spike is going to be torn up forever, potentially, yeah. mm-hmm. by this. But we end these stories. And when we finally come to the gravestone, when we finally come to to Buffy in the graveyard, yeah, it feels as though there's no story left to tell. Mm-hmm. And that is astonishing. It completes and closes out this whole thing, and especially when you think back to Prophecy Girl. I don't want to die. Yeah. You know, um, that we arc her from that to, you know, to this, yeah. to willingly for the sake of the person she loves most in the world, you know, to sacrifice herself. And of course, let's, let's mention to the music, because of course, everybody knows at the end of Becoming, we have Close Your Eyes, and I cannot <laughs> even with that, because that piece of music kills me. Christoph Beck has composed a particular piece of music just for the sacrifice theme called yes. Sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and it is, it doesn't kill me in exactly the way that Close Your Eyes does. I still cry more oh, in Becoming I, than I do in The Gift. I think that's because Becoming is a moment of 
genuine tragedy. Yeah. And this, in a weird way, the moment of sacrifice is heroic. Is heroic, This yeah. is the greatest thing that Buffy could ever do, mm-hmm. to give her life, not just for her sister, not just for her family, for the people that she loves, but for the world. Yeah. This is the best end that a Slayer, that a person can have. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, it's sacrifice. It's not loss. Yeah. And I love that. I find that so incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And I find it enormously powerful too. And this, I think, is a point that is often overlooked when people are discussing the gift. Mm-hmm. Dawn is going to do it. I completely believe that Dawn is going to swan dive off the, the edge yeah. of the tower yeah. just the way that her sister will. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's a Good heroic that's, moment. That's not nothing for yeah. Dawn of all characters. For Dawn, she's a kid. I mean, Buffy well, is not that much older than Dawn. She's five sure. years older, but it's still a significant amount of time. And for somebody of that age to say, this is what I have well, to do. It's not just that. I think that Buffy has, for the last five years, been dealing with the question of who she is. Yeah. Dawn has had six months at yeah. most. Yeah, yeah. She's still trying to understand herself. And I think that you have to know yourself before you can yeah. take an action like that. This is this is enormously noble and enormously valorous. And I think it gets overshadowed by Buffy's sacrifice, which, of course, it should. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have to recognize in the text of this episode, Dawn is, is heroic. Yeah. And I love that. And, and I'm surprised by how much that works for me. Mm-hmm. Let me pose you this question. (laughs) If Buffy had ended here, if we hadn't moved to UPN, if we hadn't picked up a sixth and then ultimately a seventh season, if we hadn't even continued with the comic books, Mm -hmm. but if this had been the end of it, what do you think the legacy of Buffy the Vampire Slayer would have been? Do you think the show would have been the the cult phenomenon that it turned into? Do you think it would be the text that it is? Would we, in 2016 be doing this podcast about a Buffy that had ended with the gift at the end of season five. Yeah, I think so. I think that we've rounded out a complete story and told it in a way that ended, you know, in this incredibly sad, you know, incredibly meaningful moment. Hmm. Um, I think that absolutely we would still be talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The fact that we got a sixth and a seventh season is an embarrassment of riches. But I think that <laughs> I think that Buffy accomplished what Buffy I, was meant to accomplish in season five. I might go one step further. Mm-hmm. I think I, I love season six. I love season seven. I'm mm-hmm. very, very glad that we had those seasons. Yeah. But I almost feel that if this had genuinely been the last moment of Buffy. Yeah. It would have gone down in history as maybe the greatest finale ever. <laughs> the greatest be, series finale, yeah. I think we would be discussing the gift alongside uh, alongside episodes that I don't particularly care for. The end of The Sopranos, I don't actually mm-hmm. rate that much. The, I'm not yeah. that impressed with it. The end of Breaking Bad, I don't mm-hmm. actually rate that much. Mm-hmm. The end of Mad Men, I think, is is a sterling piece of work. The end of Lost, I like more than, well, damn near anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that the gift would be right up there. I love Chosen, mm-hmm. which, of course, we won't spoil within the span of this episode. But we'll get to it about a year from now. Season seven, the end of the series. Almost exactly a year from now, in fact. Oh, my goodness. Going to get to Chosen. Oh, my goodness. I can't <laughs> think about it. Yeah. I love that episode. Mm-hmm. I think that is a really great episode of television. I don't think it ends Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mm -hmm. as well as The Gift does. The Gift, absolutely. I mean, The Gift is a much more emphatic, I think, (laughs) end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, But I feel like once The Gift happened, everything that Buffy is was locked. 
And then everything that we've gotten since then has been sort of extra. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think Buffy can be seen as a, a story of three parts. Yeah. I think that you could have ended Buffy with the end of Graduation Day Part 2. Mm-hmm. I think that would have given you a complete story, Buffy the High School Years. Buffy the High School like. Years. Mm-hmm. I think you can end it with The Gift, a more emphatic, arguably more successful conclusion to the mm-hmm. show as a whole. Or you can end it with Chosen, which I think is also a really, really good episode. As we said, the end of Season 4, really the only... <laughs> season ending and I'm not even counting Restless but yeah. between the Yoko Factor and Primeval that for me is the only season finale that doesn't work mm-hmm. the rest of them I think are all terrific yeah. and, and obviously Whedon tends to excel at endings let me ask you this though because you have a well-documented sensitivity a well-documented lack of patience yes. for the death of primary characters, protagonists in particular. Right. Mm-hmm. If the hero dies at the end, that is usually a signifier that you are going to hate. That I story. usually do not like that at all. Yeah. Why does it work so well for you here? Well, I Why think, is Buffy so much more effective than, say, Ned Stark, for okay. example? <laughs> I think that... Spoilers! I think that had I... It's Sean Bean. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> it's Sean Bean. If Sean Bean given. shows up in something, he's gonna die. Um, no, I think that in the moment, like, when... When I watched Buffy, I had been watching it on DVD. It was years after I knew how many seasons I had. So I knew that this wasn't the end. In the moment, had I been a big fan of Buffy and that was the end and that was it, I would have been very angry about that. I think the way that I was angry about Lost for a while, you know, sure, sure. but I think that eventually I would have gotten over it and learned to appreciate it. But yes, I do. I do really, really hate that. I, I, you know, I think like the things I hate the most are, hey, everybody's dead. You know, I mean, that if, at least <laughs> at least everybody aside from Buffy survived. So there is something for people to to go on and continue, you know, their stories with. But yeah, when when protagonists die, especially but when like the whole everybody when when everybody just dies, mm-hmm. I have no uh, no patience for that. Yeah. So is this redeemed then because it is, though it might pain us to say it, and though I know we're going to get email just for suggesting it, that it is in a way a happy ending that it is in a way a heroic it's a meaningful ending yeah it's a meaningful ending it's not just everybody dies and that's it but there is meaning to that and it would have taken me a while to get over that i think um but eventually because it is so well done um i would have come around (laughs) i I can see that i can see I, i think that there really is something about leaving the world it's not necessarily in a better place but it's in a more just place yeah i think Two, that there's the sense that this has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. And we know from things that Joss Whedon has said that certainly he was planning for Buffy to die for quite some time, that that was a story idea that had been rolling around in his head. And it was a story idea that was foreshadowed. Of course, we've been dealing with the somewhat ambiguously phrased, death is your gift sure. all season mm-hmm. long. But this has been around for a while. If you go all the way back to Graduation Day Part 2, mm-hmm. when Dream Faith tells Buffy that Little Miss Muffet is coming, counting down from 7-3-0. This event, Buffy's death, takes place almost exactly, as as near as we can tell, 730 days later. Right, in in the Sunnydale timeline. In the Sunnydale timeline, Mm -hmm. which is... I mean, extraordinary. Yeah. And we've had so many hints of that. There have been so many echoes of that. And of course, I'm particularly suspicious of, of numerical prophecies of people right. finding meaning in numbers mm-hmm. in things. I find that enormously frustrating because numbers are just numbers. You can you guys, twist numbers you however time, you want. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can make them say pretty much As we anything. know, anybody who studied statistics knows that you can but massage numbers any way you want. Yeah. There really is a sense that we've been building to this. There really is a sense that, right. that this has been 
where Buffy's story has been heading Mm -hmm. pretty much forever. So there is a point of controversy Mm -hmm. surrounding this episode. And I wanted to get your take on what we might describe as the suicide question. Mm -hmm. Now, there are two parts to this, one of which I am much much more interested in than the other. The less interesting part of the conversation is the way in which this episode has been censored, the way in which this episode has been reacted to by groups which exist to to propagate great outrage (laughs) in the world. We have our hero, a young woman committing suicide Mm -hmm. at the end of the story. Much more interesting than that, I think, is the way in which Buffy's final act of sacrifice, this this suicidal act, Mm -hmm. speaks to the discussions we had surrounding the weight of the world. Mm-hmm. She was tempted for a moment to give up. Yeah. Because then it would be over. Is there any symmetry there? Is there any validity to the unpopular but existent interpretation that Buffy is, in some sense, giving up? Just giving up. No, I think that is, and you know, and I try to be as respectful of other people's opinions as possible, but that's just stupid. Um, It's (laughs) Buffy is a hero, is a soldier in a war who is looking at a situation and saying, I can sacrifice myself and save everybody else. And I think that there is a huge difference between making an active choice to sacrifice, to save other people and just checking out. And that is not to say like, I would like to be super, super clear. Um, People who commit suicide are suffering a great deal, have challenges Mm -hmm. and things that are very, very difficult for people to understand. And I don't judge people who are committing suicide. Um, I, I would love that we had resources, that we had help available, that we prevented that kind of of death because it is it is so sad and it is such an incredible loss to the people who love these people. Um, but to equate a death that is a, a death that is willingly given for a purpose, mm-hmm. as opposed to a death that happens because. Um, because somebody has given up. I right. think that there is a significant difference between that um, in in, re- in real life. We have heroic people all the time making those choices um, because they want to save and protect other people. Um, and to equate that to a suicide and to say that, that Buffy somehow is glorifying suicide, I think is is a, a dangerous and just incredibly disrespectful argument to make. Well, I also think it's a it's a groundless argument. To it make. is. This yeah. is not the the dismissal, the abrogation of mm-hmm. Buffy's duty, of Buffy's responsibility, of Buffy's role as the Slayer, or mm-hmm. role as a big sister, or role as a human being. This is the realization of those duties. This mm-hmm. is the realization of that potential of that heroism. I find it to be incredibly powerful. But I do understand that this is a very sensitive area and if i had to account for that particular part of the critical discourse surrounding this episode Mm -hmm. i wouldn't look at the gift i would look at the weight of the world yeah i think that in a weird way both the weight of the world to a lesser extent and spiral to a greater extent Mm -hmm. do a certain amount of of real harm to the gift Mm -hmm. i think that this episode is at the very least complicated and in some outright ways made worse by the existence of both previous episodes. If you look back at Spiral and you look at the relationship between Xander and Anya, and mm-hmm. if you have that in your head as you come into the game, yeah. 
then you don't want these people to get married. No, you, absolutely. Two not. episodes ago, mm-hmm. did not want these people to get married yeah. ever. <laughs> but now here we are. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense in which the gifts accomplishments mm-hmm. are more impressive mm-hmm. because of their position in what has been an inconsistent season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense in which the gift is somewhat hampered by its need to to forcibly recalibrate our expectations mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the episode, which I think it does. I think that having Buffy be explicit about the connection between herself and Dawn. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can do that. You can just offer that exposition with absolutely no backup, no grounding whatsoever. That's fine. You have to do it in order for this episode to work. Mm-hmm. But there's no way to look at that scene and not feel a little bit as though the preceding four or six or eight episodes have somehow failed to completely lead us to this point. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that I would say that the weight of the world takes away from the gift because Buffy wanted it to be over because she wanted it to. um... I think that by framing the conversation in those terms, you open up a space for speculation about the gift. Right. But the thing is that the the kind of sacrifice that Buffy is making is not about a lack of hope, Mm -hmm. which is what happens when you, when you can't do it anymore, you know? Um, And when you make those kinds of choices, I think that, that this kind of death is all about an abundance of hope, an abundance of belief that the world is worthy of that kind of sacrifice, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so for me, the weight of the world shows a very human moment where Buffy, you know, where Buffy just wants it to be over. And we have a moment earlier in this episode where she says, I don't know how to live in a world that has this kind of choices. This is my point. Narratively, that has one purpose. Mm -hmm. Narratively, we're, we're leaning toward the idea that death is her gift. Yeah. And that's very powerful. But when you throw in this extra perspective from the weight of the world Mm -hmm. to this discussion, then I don't know how to live in this world. The hardest thing about the world is to live in it. Yeah. There is, I think, a valid interpretation that suggests that Buffy is, is not necessarily fully realizing her heroic potential, but is instead taking the easy way out. I am not of that opinion myself. I want to be as emphatic as I possibly can, but I do think that there's space in the text where you can't completely dismiss Mm -hmm. that reaction. And I wonder, I can't help but look at at this episode in the shadow of the preceding episodes, not all of which are terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this is a failed season, but I think that there is a, I feel as though there's a change of trajectory right here as we move from the rest of season five into the gift mm-hmm. i feel as though whedon takes the reins again and adjusts our course and i think that that is the smart right powerful narratively complete thing to do and i think that we end up with a much greater story because of it but when i think about season five when i'm looking back at the season from the perspective of the gift mm-hmm. i feel as though the gift's excellence kind of makes the rest of the season a little worse than it otherwise would be I feel as though this vision of Buffy, this vision of not just season five Buffy, but Buffy's entire story makes a lot of what we've seen lately feel a little less consistent, a little less well thought out and much, much less focused. Mm -hmm. 
I can I can definitely understand that. I don't think I'm as much of that opinion maybe as you are. I feel like um Well, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate right. to kind of get to the get to the, the core of this well, idea and to, to figure out really what I think about it too. I think but. that we haven't made Buffy's death a simple one. I think mm-hmm. that it is complicated that we are asking questions about you know, about having the weight of the world, about about everything that she carries with her, the responsibilities that she carries with her okay. every day. I want to emphasize yeah. I think that Buffy's death is enormously heroic yeah i think this is just a fantastic episode of television right i think if there is a problem here it is with the weight of the world in the context of the gift and mm-hmm. not the gift in the context of the weight of the world i think that the the weight of the world is the moment where she she loses hope you know and mm-hmm. where she she feels guilty and and all of this stuff and i think that the weight of the world actually is a nice contrast to the gift because she resolves those feelings in the weight of the world and says no i will continue on i'm gonna fight you know she comes out of it she comes back yeah I, I and agree. because she has made that move when she goes into um into the gift she does it with purpose you know i agree um, entirely that's my right. reading too but i can't completely invalidate an alternate reading that says well no actually she's still holding to that hopelessness as we move into the gift mm-hmm. that part of the reason at least that she gives up at the end is that she gives up at the end yeah i, I can again i don't agree with it but i can at least recognize the potential for that in, i can i can see where people would make the argument i guess what I resoundingly reject is this idea that Buffy is somehow glorifying the the act of suicide and that that leads to this, you know, sense of outrage. Um, what Buffy does is opens up a place for a conversation about those moments when we do feel like we don't have any more hope, which is what Way to the World does, you know? Um, and I think that Buffy also opens up in the gift this idea of sacrificing yourself with an abundance of hope. Yeah. Um, and I think both of those are very good conversations to have. They're very good questions to ask and things to talk about. I have absolutely no time for outrage the idea that it, that it you know, glorifies suicide. Yeah. I think that honestly, if we spent less time judging people who were feeling suicidal and more time providing resources and helping people so that they had hope um we would have a much greater use of that you know outrage um put that energy into providing resources for people so that they don't have to feel like they have no hope and there are times where you know and i mean just to say there are times where i think like in circumstances where people have terminal illness where they have situations where all they have to left left to look forward to is pain and suffering and watching their families watch them suffer um, that they have a right to make the decision that they need to make suicide is a much much more complicated thing than just glorifying this this you know giving up and throwing in the towel and all that kind of stuff so for me I mean I think that's a much much broader topic um, and a much much bigger discussion but suicide and the things that drive people to suicide are very complicated discussions and to minimize them into this space of of outrage is 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 not a conversation I'm interested in having but i do think that the the concept of when you feel like giving up when you have that moment where you want to give up you know what is it that brings you back Mm -hmm. you know and for for buffy it is you know that love and it is exactly that same love that inspired her to come back and fight is what inspires her to sacrifice herself in this way no i think that's exactly right i couldn't have put that better myself. One more topic of conversation then before we <laughs> embrace the unenviable task of putting this on <laughs> the big list. Let me ask you about the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Because at its heart, 
Buffy is, as we've said before, a show about becoming. It's a show about growing up, effectively. What if the monsters that we face in high school, the monsters that we face in our young adult lives, the monsters that we face in the world, what if they were real? Mm -hmm. What if they were literal monsters? And what if we really were the only person who could fight them? Mm -hmm. Buffy has always worked beautifully at that metaphorical level, going all the way back to the first season. We see very clear-cut examples of that in Teacher's Pet and in The Witch and Mm -hmm. in Out of Sight, Out of Mind. What do we make of the metaphor of Buffy's death? Is there a deeper underlying metaphorical meaning here, or is this the moment when the show as metaphor gives up and we embrace the show as narrative? Because... A person who has suffered all that Buffy has suffered, a person who has gone through all that she has gone through, faced and overcome so many challenges, a person who is looking at a world now without the guiding influence of her mother, Mm -hmm. a person who has to take care of a younger sister, what do we make of the metaphor. Is there a metaphorical aspect to this that you can... Oh, I think you can absolutely see that. I mean, if if you think about it, you know, we die various, you know, type of metaphorical deaths all through our life. The person who you are right now is not the same person who you were 10 years ago. You know, uh, we go through these transformations. And I think it is an incredibly powerful transformation. And if you think about it in that way, um, that this is is Buffy kind of shedding the all the things that she had held on to, you know, of who she was, you know, and sacrificing all of that in order to grow up and become you know, the person that she needs to be moving right. forward, which I think if you think about how we continue in season six and season seven without giving away too many spoilers, that that metaphor actually somewhat applies. So what we're seeing here is the death of is a transformation in the yeah. same way as we saw in Prophecy Girl, the death of childhood, yes. effectively. Mm-hmm. That in Prophecy Girl, the, the metaphor to Buffy's death and return was the coming of age. The transition, like, sure. Mm-hmm. into Yeah, the transition into a young adult. And here we have a transition into full adulthood. I think that's... That when you make a yeah. when you make a decision like that when you make a choice like that yeah. um you know that you make the choice that you need to make and sometimes there are choices that you make after which you are never the same person in order for that metaphor to work of course we have to be able to project forward into dawn's life where buffy is still in a sense a presence mm-hmm. obviously now that Buffy is dead, that will only be a metaphorical presence. But we can see that as a representation of hope and yes. of commitment mm-hmm. and of courage and of valor and of sacrifice. I think there's a very real sense in which Buffy will continue to be a positive influence on Dawn's life, mm-hmm. even though she has sacrificed herself. Yes. A positive influence on, on Willow's life and Xander's life and even on Jazz's oh, life too, though the grief will be difficult to bear. Mm-hmm. The metaphor, I think, is incomplete. But that's why we have a season six. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) In part, at least. That's why we have a season six and a season seven. And ultimately, I think the metaphor will be much more fully realized by the time we hit the last episode of Buffy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the big list, shall we? And (laughs) I don't want to talk out of school, but I feel as though there are only really two conversations to have here. Is it number one on the list or is it number two on the list? Right. Number one, we have Hush. Can we just completely definitively say that this is a better episode than Full for Love? Uh, yeah, we can, yeah. Oh, we can agree so. on that just just yeah. across the even, board, right? Now. Even okay. me, even sure. me, I will say it is a better episode. The Fool for Love, yes. Here is the argument. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it is fair to say that the gift is, in some sense, 
a better episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is more Buffy per square inch than <laughs> Hush. Yes. Hush, by virtue of being a somewhat more unusual, atypical, special episode, mm-hmm. stands apart somewhat from the Buffy canon. There are only a handful of episodes for which that is true. And we'll get to once more with feeling very yes. soon, surprisingly <laughs> soon, worryingly soon, yes. actually, I have to tell you. There are only a handful of episodes that stand outside of the Buffy not canon, I guess canon is the wrong word because these are both canonical episodes, but sure. they stand outside of the Buffy style. They stand mm-hmm. outside of the narrative template of Buffy the Vampire yes. Slayer. The gift does not. The gift is, well, it's damn near pure Buffy being injected directly into the vein. Yes. <laughs> Cooked in a spoon, yes. Now, that said, I feel as though... There is an argument that Mm -hmm. Hush is a more complete, Mm -hmm. in some ways more ambitious, more unusual, certainly. More perfect. More crafted Mm -hmm. episode of television. I feel as though, taken as a 44-minute artifact, Hush is almost peerless. Mm Mm-hmm. The Gift is a fantastic episode of television, but it depends upon five years of television preceding it Yes, in order for it to have its emotional effect. You couldn't sit down and show someone The Gift and expect it to have anything like the same effect. Mm -hmm. But we know for a fact that you can sit people down, show them Hush, and have them be completely enchanted by it. Mm -hmm. So if our dominant narrative unit as we're looking at Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the episode versus the season or the arc or Mm -hmm. the show as a whole, I think there is an argument for Hush as a better crafted episode of television. I think if we were making a list of the best episodes of series television ever made, Mm -hmm. um, the best episodes of television, Hush would probably have, um, you know, have a real entitlement to the number one spot. I think making a list of the best Buffy episode ever, I feel like the gift has to be number one. For me, it's for me, it's number one. I think that is actually the perfect argument. Mm-hmm. If we were making a top ten list of episodes of TV, period. Yes. Right there, alongside, you know, the pilot for Lost and the last episode of Cheers, mm-hmm. I would be very tempted to include Hush. I would have no real impulse to include the gift on that list. Mm-hmm. On this list, though, as the ultimate Buffy episode as the apotheosis of everything that Buffy the Vampire Slayer represents Mm -hmm. it goes in at number one I think it has to the gift ladies and gentlemen the last episode of season five a brand new number one hey Petrie the top five doesn't belong to you anymore (laughs) Joss Whedon now with three entries in the top five of our list Doug Petrie with two I am fairly confident He's going to have a comeback. We'll see. We'll see Petrie (laughs) creeping his way up there, I am certain. That will do it, I think, for this extended discussion. But we know that you have thoughts about The Gift, and we know that you have thoughts about Season 5 as a whole. So do get in touch. Next week, we're looking at Angel. The week after, we'll be looking at both Buffy Season 5 in our Season 5 wrap-up and Angel Season 2 in our Season 2 wrap-up. Because on Monday, we will be back with our thoughts on the Pylea arc which concludes season two of Angel. Yes, that arc covers episodes 20 through 22 of the season. Over the Rainbow, 
through the looking glass and there's no place like Plurtsklerb. It's our first triple feature on Dusted, so we are taking a full week to do it. There is no new episode coming on Thursday, but we'll yes. be back on Monday with what I imagine will be just an epic episode of Dusted. If we get out of that show in less than two hours, I'm going to be astonished. <laughs> These are not perfect episodes of Angel. Yeah. But I think they're really but they're strong. interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. A lot to discuss mm-hmm. and then ultimately the heartbreaking conclusion of the end <laughs> of the season. Yeah. We'll talk about that in due course too. While you are waiting though for our return, you can join some of the funniest, smartest, most delightful people on the internet over at our forums at forum.storywonk.com Or send your feedback to us via email at podcast at storywonk.com or leave a voicemail at 252 Wonk. That's 252-505-9665. And we love to have your voicemails for the season wrap up. So please, you have two weeks to get your phone calls in and let us know what you think. Let's call it a week and a half because I need to. (laughs) Because we still need to edit the voicemails. (laughs) Don't wait on that. If you have thoughts about the gift, if you have thoughts about share them now. Yes. Get in touch. And remember that everything we do at StoryWonk is made possible by you, our generous patrons, to help keep StoryWonk free and ad free for everyone. To gain access to exclusive StoryWonk content to help us do that thing we do, head on over to Patreon dot com slash storywonk and pledge us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford until next time i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted